Hello, welcome to a Paul Carenza podcast. I'm Paul Carenza. This is a podcast. So this is a Paul Carenza podcast. Really, it's a collection of other podcasts I've done as well. If you go way back, you'll find the Heptagon Club when I interviewed seven different guests per episode. That was a little ambitious. We had comedians with books when I interviewed different comedians with books. Did exactly what it said on the tin, really. And now it's a Paul Carenza podcast catching up with different people. Some are friends, some are writers, some are comedians, and some are people like Gareth Jones, TV presenter I knew first as Gaz Top on children's TV shows in the 1980s. I interviewed him for my other podcast, The British Broadcasting Century. You may have heard snippets of that conversation there, but I thought, well, we need a home for the full podcast because it turns out with Gareth Jones, once you get him talking, he doesn't stop easily. If you've heard the British Broadcasting Century podcast, you'll have heard about half of the following interview with Gareth there. But this is the complete works, with the other never-before-heard chat. The two halves of the interview reunited. It's Gareth. And it's Jones. For more info on him, you can go to garethjones.tv. He's the host of Gareth Jones on Speed. He is a complete petrol head, a science enthusiast, and a fascinating person to speak to. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Welsh wonder, Gareth Jones. Delighted to say, welcoming to the podcast this week, a man I know from for various different names. I don't even know how to introduce him. I'm going to call him Gareth Jones. Hello, Gareth. Oh, that's a pretty good start. That's good always start. been my name. There was a, a period in my life where uh, other people called me Gaz Top, uh, uh, and it was uh, it was them who gave me the name. It's actually uh, Mike Peters from the Alarm, the band I used to roadie for, who gave me the nickname uh-huh. Gaz Top, and. Uh, Alarm fans used to get the alarm to sign autographs and then they'd ask their road crew and I was an alarm roadie to sign and I'd sign it as top as a joke and uh, and it kind of stuck. But uh, I've always been Gareth Jones since 1961 but uh, yeah. there was a, a brief period I suppose on television between 85 and 89 where I was called Gaz Top and I had to steeg back to Gareth Jones via <laughs> Gareth Gaz Top Jones. Nice, nice. I think that's the thing that I, I first was aware of your, of your oeuvre, if that's even the right word, um, as, as Gaz Top. You know, that's I remember seeing you on uh, well, How To Get Fresh, things like this. And um, what was that? What were you doing before then? And how, what was your entrance to the industry and all that sort of thing? Uh, I was, um, well, it, the, the whole story was I was brought up in North Wales and being Welsh, being a Welsh speaker. Uh, a big part of Welsh culture is this thing called the Esteddfod, which is a sort of a national singing, dancing, reciting, poetry competition where everyone is expected to perform. You know, you just are. Everyone performs. It's completely normal. It's an essential part of Welsh culture. So I've, I've always been, you know, uh, capable of standing up and uh, telling a story, reciting a poem, singing a song, as everybody in Wales is. You look at the inordinate number of uh, Welsh people who are in the media, it's because of the Estefot. So I had that as my initial start. Then I went into youth theatre uh, when I was about 13. I was actually uh, allowed in. Uh, two years younger than uh, everyone else was in the theatre group. I went on a drama course, um, and that sort of bolstered my performance credentials. I had a dad who was a uh, uh, an engineer, an electronics engineer, so he filled me full of love and understanding for technology. And uh, and then rock and roll happened. You know, Slade mm. in 1972, punk rock in 1976, and I, I formed a 
a band with some mates, uh, um, started gigging in North Wales, supporting other bands, and the other bands are better than us. And one day, one of those other bands said, will you come and be a roadie for me? So I ended up being a roadie for the other bands because I was good with technology and um, toured the world with that band, The Alarm, for five years uh, and got offered a TV gig in America in um, 1984, I suppose that was. Turned it down because I was a roadie, not a TV presenter. And then came back to Britain, January 85, The Alarm took three months off. I was a, a roadie looking for work. I had another job lined up with another band, The Armory Show at the time. But I, a pal of mine um, had told me that and he'd applied for a job with a new satellite and cable music channel called Music Box, who were like MTV, and they were looking for presenters. And he said, you, know, you should do this. I mean, this guy, Pete Picton, was in New Theatre with me. He was the guy who said, come, let's go join New Theatre. And uh, he was also in my band with me. So he's been a massive influence on me. And Pete said, um, go for this job. And he wrote a, a phone number down on the back of a pack of Benson and Hedges, mm. uh, 20 gold yeah, a gold packet of 20 Bensons. Yeah. And I, when I was in London one day, I set up the band uh, in rehearsals, phoned this number and said, oh, I believe you're looking for television presenters who know about music. And they said, yeah, come down for an interview. So literally that day, and I do mean literally that day, I went, did an interview, um, walked into an office full of girls, uh, thought, I, I, I was young and single at the time. I, I quite like this. So I put my feet up on the desk wearing cowboy boots. I remember this well. I said, I like it here. I'd like to come and work here. And she said, well, let's find out if you can, said Jane Kelly, the woman interviewing me. And she gave me um, uh, an opportunity for a screen test, which I passed. And three days later, I had my own TV program presenting wow. music videos on uh, Music Box. It, so I went from zero to hero in about three or four days. Ridiculous. So that's how I started in television. I mean, that's, that's, well, it's a fast turnover, isn't it? When it happens, it happens. Yeah. You're in. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's amazing. And it was never my plan. It was mm. never my plan. I set out to be either the first Welshman on the moon, and I'm absolutely serious about this or the bass player in Slade those are the two things Paul I wanted to be there's time um, yet there's time yet for the moon yeah. stuff certainly it could happen uh, and Slade as well you know why not yeah. you know dream big dream big <laughs> <laughs> well I did get close once I have actually played briefly with Slade uh, but uh, not in a professional well a semi-professional yeah. and, and as far as walking on the moon mm. there's hope but it's yeah, you never know stranger things have happened uh, well, clearly then, this love of so te technology was there at the start by sounds of it, because you've done a lot of shows that I wondered if it sort of you've gravitated towards in tech, science, gaming, speed, of course, your podcast, uh, Gareth Jones on Speed. Um, so but from right at the start by sounds of it, then that that and then children's TV presenting seems to always be an accident along the way that's sort of drawn. Yeah, all that stuff. yeah, it was uh, exactly that. I, I think, um, you know, I. I grew up in the space age. I was born in 1961, some, you know, six weeks after the um, first human left Earth, Yuri Gagarin. And so right throughout my childhood years, the most important thing for me was the moon landing. I watched it 
the whole project unravel in front of me, you know, or happen, play out before me. And uh, was passionate about that. Didn't give a frig about football. Forget football, mm. not even rugby being a Welshman, you know. That was what other people did. I couldn't see the point. But I like technology. I like motorsport. I like the moon landings. My dad was an electronics engineer. He was XREF. We built and flew radio-controlled model aircraft together and cars and helicopters in a time when you know you built them from plans you didn't go and buy a fully assembled vehicle you had to put the whole thing together i built my first radio when i was 10 you know technology was uh, the most important thing to me and then rock and roll as i became a teenager um and so inevitably i became a roadie if you put those two things together, it's, you know, it's the very essence. If you like technology and rock and roll, you either become a member of Emerson, Lake and Palmer or you become a roadie. And uh, uh, so, yeah, went off around the world and got into music television simply because I had nothing to do for three months. And then television, children's television picked me out. I never set out to find children's television. What happened was when I was on Music Box, which was a pan-European satellite music channel, uh, Janet Street Porter, a great television presenter and producer of the 80s and the 70s, Janet spotted me interviewing um, Tony James from CC Sputnik. Tony was her boyfriend at the time, and I was a big Sputnik fan, loved Generation X, my, you know, my era of rock and roll. And uh, she liked the way that I interviewed him, knew about him, and the way that we edited my interview into a CC Sputnik video. Now, in those days, you kind of had videos and you had interviews. No one had sort of done that before. I can't claim the responsibility for that. I was working with a very talented director called uh, Josh Halil. Koskun is his real name. He's Turkish. Josh, we called him. And uh, Josh and I had this idea because the Sputnik's video, you couldn't tell what was like a movie trailer, what was a music video, what was the interview. We, We meshed the whole thing thing together and janet kind of liked that so she tracked me down she found me at music box i got a message at music box one day oh can you go and see janet street porter she's casting for a new saturday morning children's program what wait okay yeah wow really out of the blue Mm. so i went to meet who i thought i was expecting to meet janet street porter and met uh the guy she was co-producing this series with the show was turned out to be get fresh and the guy that she was working with uh tim edmonds was the first man i ever discussed television with at music box i'd always discussed music that was it was like running a radio station like running radio one music was the most important thing but i had this chat with this guy called tim we talked about television for the first time ever and i learned a huge amount from him and realized i was actually interested in the process of making television Janet Street Porter walked in, asked me, okay, when are you on, get, when are you on Music Box? I said, well, I'm, it's a 24-hour channel. I could be on any time. Would you be on on Saturday mornings if we gave you a job on this program? So, well, I could probably ask them to not have me on at the same time as a, um, I would be on this show. All right, then, give them a screen test, Tim. And that was it. I was sent off to uh, Newcastle with eight other people, I think, uh, to do screen tests as possible presenters forget fresh and uh, i got chosen forget fresh yay and became a saturday morning tv presenter not because i knew about 
music and knew about television. I think I got it because I used to be a roadie. And roadies have this brilliant, the show must go on attitude. You know, you, you arrive in a town at four o'clock in the afternoon, the band are on stage at what, nine o'clock at night. You've got five hours to make everything work. And even if things aren't working, you make them work. You know, I've built drum risers out of old ashtrays when there wasn't a drum riser. You know, I've made cables up by wiring short cables together so we could do this gig. And a TV presenter of a live show, and this gig that I got, Get Fresh, was a live Saturday morning show, required that kind of the show must go on attitude. And I think that was my qualification for getting get fresh um and then the reason i got how was it was the same producer the guy who the producer of the first series of get fresh tim edmonds worked with janet street porter was then asked to put how to together and tim knew my background in science and engineering and technology and thought actually he might be quite useful for how to but by the time i did how to i was no longer gas top i was gareth jones again i never appeared as gas top on how to which is curious because a lot of people say oh gas top from how to never happened <laughs> it's because they're all really short easy names and titles gaz top how to you can say it so quickly it's uh, yeah yeah it's, it's yeah. easy to remember you know but yeah. uh, even if it's wrong <laughs> well the biggest thing the best thing that ever happened to me on get fresh was gilbert the alien who joined us on the second season because i noticed that suddenly get fresh went from the first year of being pretty good the second year i stepped outside of the door of my house and people would stop me on the street and say hi gaz where's gilbert wow wow things have changed people know my name and they know the name of the uh the puppet i was working with and get fresh exploded we had something like six million viewers on a saturday morning it was massive but there wasn't much in the way of uh rivalry in those days there were only a few cable and satellite channels so it was a very different environment and that, that was uh, from memory. That was all over the country as well, wasn't it? You would That's be right, on lo yeah. different locations each week. Uh, Not only a different location, but an entirely different ITV company making the show every week. We it was it was organised by Tyne Tees Television, who had a central unit in London, a sort of a, a core unit. Uh, so there would be a producer, a talent booker, a couple of researchers, and the presenters, and then we would travel to a location let's say uh, carlisle and this week we arrive on the thursday and it would be border television's turn to make our program so they turn up with their own ob unit uh, they'd have the spaceship the uh, the millennium dustbin this uh, portable studio that was delivered it was basically a, a 40 foot articulated lorry trailer um, you'd have to assemble it kind of like a transformer all the bits on the inside would be taken out and put on the outside to make it look like a, a truck and they'd have to follow instructions on how to do this and it was very difficult you know it was only just made it by Saturday morning and then next week it would be I don't know TSW's turn to make it or Scottish or Grampian or Ulster or HTV West or HTV Wales or TVS or TSW you know we Anglia we went around all the little companies none of the big five so it wasn't Granada it wasn't London Weekend it wasn't Thames it wasn't Central and it wasn't Yorkshire Television the big five mm. in those days it was all the little regions who clubbed together to pitch for the Saturday morning uh -huh. um, franchise because the big five either couldn't do it didn't want to do it had failed to do it successfully in the past 
there'd been a number of failed Saturday morning shows before Get Fresh emerged. I think the most famous of which was The Mersey Pirate, which was made by uh, Granada Television in Liverpool, presented by um, Billy Butler, MBE, ah, yes. Butler's eldest. Yeah. And there were other shows like The Saturday Banana, and none of these had really done well, and they'd all... Oh, we can't make Saturday morning television. So they, they gave up and said to the little regionals, do you want to have a go? So they said, well, let's make something that we can all have a go at doing and sharing it between us. So it's kind of an almost neo-communist, semi-socialist uh, conglomerate of people making Get Fresh, which was fantastic. It was a, a joy to be involved. That sounds uh, a mix of, um, I don't know about anarchic as such, but yeah, anti-something. Anti it's anti-the um, mainstream in a way, isn't it? It but was, just, yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. It was, um, we'll do our thing. We don't care what we, you know, we, we haven't been given a brief. We've been given an opportunity. And so Get Fresh wrote itself. It was Janet and Tim's vision. And it was kind of, it really coalesced beautifully in the second season when... Um, the Vicious Boys who'd been part of the presenting team on the first season had left. And by the second season, uh, we had a new producer, Mike Forte, and he said to me, what should we do? I said, well, it's a, it, it's a spaceship. We should have an alien on board. Oh, yeah, let's have an alien, he said. So he commissioned um, Fluck and Law, the people who mm. made the puppets for Spitting Image, to build a puppet. Uh, we didn't have a name for it. It was made classic children's tv cost cutting this puppet was made of used spare bits of other <laughs> puppet molds in spitting image wow. the the lips gilbert's lips were um uh ringo star uh uh the i can't remember what the other bits were but i do remember that the body was a, a germ they created a germ um uh, a kind of a virus but th that was janet street porter that was how they they did Janet Street Porter and Spitting Image, and it was a tremendous irony that it was this same body became the body of Gilbert for Get Fresh, a series produced by Janet Street Porter. Absolutely intentionally, Fluck and Law knew what they were doing. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so Gilbert was a bitter, an amalgam of bits, and his personality grew out of the performance that uh, Phil Cornwell did as Gilbert's voice. Gilbert was two people. There was a puppeteer, and a separate voice artist. And that's what gave Gilbert this kind of out of control, um, uh, split personality kind of uh, essence, I suppose. I, I imagine that uh, a show like that must have been as, as full on as, as broadcasting sort of gets, you know, as opposed to in a studio and so on. It, was, it, was it fun or was it mad? Or was it somewhat, did you not have a time to stop and think whether it was fun or mad? All three of those things. Mm. Um, exactly all three of those things it was really intense we'd arrive thursday afternoon we'd walk around this enormous location setting we'd be struggling with little itv companies trying to make the technology work some of them didn't even have an outside broadcast scanner some had a porter cabin and two two-inch vt machines that they'd brought from their uh, headquarters their broadcast suite at home uh, you know, in, at home, <laughs> you know in their their uh, edit suites and uh, sorry not two inch one inch that was an exaggeration you know not even beta cam these are one inch reel-to-reel -reel tape machines um and we had uh talkback systems which barely ever worked we had uh, you know receivers radio receivers the size of a 
flipping suitcase. I'm looking for something around me, a shoebox that I would have strapped to my back, you know, because they didn't have little micron radio transmitter receivers. And they would break up all the time. I, we could never work out whether I could have switch talk back or open talk back. So I just had open talk back, this constant conversation in my ear of four people constantly whilst I was broadcasting and Gilbert in the other ear and trying to make sense of what I'm saying. So it was chaos from the Thursday. And then we went live, uh, you know, we had a long day's rehearsals on Friday with half the guests never managing to get there. So you'd have to imagine what might happen. You go live Saturday morning. Of course, it was raining. Of course, two of the five cameras had broken down. Uh, and it was make it up as you go along a lot of the time you watch back any episodes of get fresh and there are some episodes available on uh youtube and my website is i've actually got the entire last episode ever of get fresh august wow. 1988 you can watch that on my website you look things break down even on the last show it's raining even on the last show it's chaos and that was the joy of it it was like rock and roll for me it wasn't alien pun intended in any way you know it felt like the the chaos of rock and roll and i thrived on that when things went wrong cut to gas and i'd have to do something and i'm brilliant thank you for the opportunity i'm more than happy as you, as you can tell i i can talk <laughs> you're quite right too well you're clearly for someone who didn't think they'd go into tv broadcasting or anything or presenting you're clearly made for it you know so. well it's genetic it really is i think i i uh, my mother we had an expression in, in our family my mother wasn't backward in coming forward you know she really wasn't shy she knew no shyness and my dad was a brilliantly applied man he could you know, a self-taught electronics engineer. He could teach himself anything. He had the great ability to disassemble something and put it back together and make it work and understand how it worked and make it work better. So I inherited most of those qualities from those two people. And thank you. That was the perfect, you know, parts kit for a live TV presenter who could do science television. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I claim no, yeah. no involvement in that whatsoever. I just... I was handed those genes from, from my parents. <laughs> my family rode the, uh, the wave of the transistor, basically, with the invention of the transistor, the transition from valves to transistors. Suddenly, portable radios and televisions became much more affordable. And so, you know, that, that, that was the, uh, uh, the, the, the technology boom that led to a revenue stream that dragged my family from being a working-class family to being a middle-class family in the 1960s. Oh. and um uh and so we had a tv we had the first color tv in our street because dad sold them so in the 60s well the 70s late 60s early 70s um we dad would bring a color tv home from the shop for, to borrow for the weekend and mm. everyone on our street would come and watch the color tv in our house i remember mm. a uh a football match the fa cup final being um uh, rerun on a midweek thing and our house was full of people watching I think Chelsea and Leeds play in colour in <laughs> our house and of course the reason I watched the moon landing live was we mm. had a TV you know in, in the late 60s and it was uh, an essential the TV was always on in fact in our house um, um, my sister came here to visit me a few years ago and walked in she said to me is there a reason the television's off <laughs> and I <laughs> I, I found that I, I hadn't thought like that, but the TV was always on yeah. in our house. 
And for her to notice that it was off was a, said a great deal about the culture that we grew up in together. Well, actually, similar my my uh, parents' house, uh, they still to this day, they'll have generally like BBC One on in one room. Yeah. And then a different TV in the other room has got ITV on. And maybe yeah. a third in the kitchen's got two or, or, or channel four and if you want to switch channels you don't change your remote you just go to a different room to another room yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, and that's not weird that's pretty much how i lived my mm. life throughout the sort of the 80s and the 90s and it changed when the kids turned up and uh, mm. and violet and i got together but um yeah i mean that that isn't weird to me yeah. that's yeah the culture i grew up in but also the future there as, as you got into the noughties and you you i mean you, you seem to have got into podcasting um, ahead of most, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, early adopter, pioneer. I um, quite right too. Only realised fairly recently, I was a, a genuine podcast pioneer, and again, I can claim very little little responsibility for that. It was my great ally, Zog, um, uh, a journalist, uh, uh, a, a magazine editor called Paul Ierson—that's his real name—but we've always called him Zog. Um, in um, two thousand and five when my 16-year tenure on how-to had ended, um, I was casting around for what to do next. I was doing some motorsport television at the time, but Zog was doing um, uh, a podcast about poker at the time called the uh, Poker Diagram Podcast. And he came here, this room I'm in right now one day, and, and said to me, you've got to make a podcast you should call it Gareth Jones on speed. It should be about cars. And my partner, Violet said, great, do that. Do it. Podcasting is the new thing. Great. I said, what's a podcast? Really didn't know in 2005. So we started making content. We made a couple of programs, worked out how to write an RSS feed and how to upload programs to my um, web server. And I think the first show got something like 300 listeners and then the subscriber base built and built and built until you know we had something like 50,000 a few years ago which was a huge yeah. number so yeah in the very first days of podcasting it was very different to how it is now you know we had to work out what is an rss feed oh my god i've got to learn xml and write it manually mm -hmm. oh, what's the audio standard oh god how who are the people distributing podcasts oh um, and now i've got to be a podcaster you know, you hit record on your Zoom button. You have a, a plug-in on WordPress. You hit publish, and you're a podcaster in two stages. It reminded me the early days of podcasting is the early days of Ready Control Model Aircraft. You know, it was a very similar process of having to work it out from first principles. There was not a kit of parts available then. And I've kept it going. Violet will tell you that one thing I, I'm very good at is sort of loyalty and sustaining and just keeping something going, keeping something going. You know, I... Um, how to I did for 16 years Gareth Jones on speed my car podcast I've now done for 15 years you know I, I, I tend to stay with things until other people are fed up of them not me <laughs> <laughs> very good so it's nearly overtaken how to then by another year or so and uh, yeah that's right yeah yeah another year and it will have matched how to that's correct good work good work well well so 15 years of that that is incredible work and uh, and over your entire career clearly as well you've you've zoomed in on a thing that uh, you are great at and you love and the technology and the science and stuff and uh, um, yeah, it's great how that sort of has come together and, uh, and you can, and it means you can still talk for 15 years about it because 15 more potentially, you know? Yeah, well, let's hope so. I'm not done with Gareth Jones on speed. You know, I do other things as well. I make radio documentaries. I'm actually, 
whole reason I can make radio documentaries is because I've been a podcaster for 15 years. I taught myself the process of editing audio, mixing audio, creating soundscapes, telling stories with an audio, audio cues to reinforce what you're talking about. So podcasting has opened up this whole other world for me. My production company, Whiz Bang, we make radio documentaries for Radio Wales and Radio Cymru in English and in Welsh. Even though I live in Wales, I've still got my, my heart. Sorry, even though I live in London, my, my heart is in Wales still. And a great deal of that which influences me comes from Wales. You know, they say write about what you know, write about what you care about. And I care and know about Wales. So I make programs about Wales for Wales but with the added um, uh, benefit perhaps of having a third party view I don't live in Wales so when I go to Wales I notice the changes when I watch Wales on TV here in London or listen to it on the radio I hear it in a different context to people who live in Wales so I hopefully bring a view to uh, Welsh broadcasting that people who live and work there don't have perhaps I assumed you were in Wales because I was fooled by the green screen and uh, <laughs> it's the rolling fields and hills behind you. And it turns out it's all a con. Look at it that. is all a con. Yeah, the, I've, I've actually got a, a green screen backdrop of Nant Perris <laughs> behind me, which is one of my favourite parts in Wales. And yeah, it is a con. You know, Gareth Jones, Gaz Top was the English con. Gareth Jones is a Welsh one. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. I, um, well, part of the reason for changing back, there were two reasons for changing back from Gareth Jones from Gaz Top to Gareth Jones, was that I wanted people to know I'm a Welshman and to know that I'm a Welsh speaker and the clues in the name, Gareth Jones. Because I don't particularly sound Welsh because of the part of Wales I'm from and the fact that my dad was brought up in Yorkshire means I don't particularly have a Welsh accent. And a lot of people thought I was a Brummie. A lot of people thought I was from Staffordshire. I'd sound like this. <laughs> and uh, I wanted people to know I'm a Welshman. So that was one of the main reasons. Plus, I also wanted to present Tomorrow's World. And I I'll figured that Gaz Top was never going to be a Tomorrow's World presenter, but someone called Gareth Jones might get that gig. <laughs> so that, that's, that's why I switched. Very good I did actually end up presenting Tomorrow's World very briefly. I presented the last series, which is great. The last yeah. series, in fact. There you go. So that was, I oh, killed you Tomorrow's you, World. You did that. Okay, that's good to know. Good to know who to hold See, responsible. That's not quite true. I did know it was the last series when I was contracted to do it. And oh, it was just sort of a final fling. I had fun. Yeah, I had fun. It was I, I cried on the day that I got given that job. I broke my heart because all my presenter heroes were Tomorrow's World presenters. Um, William Woolard, James Burke, Raymond Baxter. Uh, these are the people who I copied when I became a TV presenter. I intoned like William Woolard. I thought like William, ba Raymond Baxter. You know, the, 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 those are my models. You know, when, when, Bob Dylan became a musician. He just copied Pete Seeger. When uh, Bruce Springsteen became a performer, he copied Bob Dylan. When Bono became a, a singer, he copied uh, Mark Bolan and uh, David Bowie. And when I became a tele television presenter, I copied William Woolard and, uh, and Raymond Baxter and, and James Burke, my heroes. So I have a lot to thank them for. So to finally become a presenter of their show some 30 years later, perhaps, 
Wow. Great moment for me. Uh, heart, heartbreakingly happy. I was going to ask you your um, almost lastly because we've got to wrap up. But um, but your inspirations and clearly those guys uh, did it for yeah. you in terms of what you uh, watched and was all growing up. Yeah, in terms of television, Tomorrow's World. Uh, also, Top of the Pops um, and Magpie more than Blue Peter. Although I have to give a nod to uh, uh, John Noakes on Blue Peter, who is just. A, a model for all of us, not just people who became television presenters, but we all wanted to be John Noakes in the 60s. Uh, Thunderbirds, massive influence on me. You know, you look at all my uh, school books, they're full of drawings of vehicles I've invented, inspired by Thunderbirds. And so Jerry Anderson, who was the visionary who put Thunderbirds together, and, they, and uh, Derek Meddings, the guy who designed the uh, the vehicles, those people were big influences on me. Outside of television, other big influences, Noddy Holder from Slade. Um, it's one of the reasons I probably don't sound like a North Walian. I hear Nod's voice in my head, being a big Slade fan from 10 years old, and I may have subconsciously adopted some of his tones. Um, Bono from U2 uh, I toured as a roadie for five years with the Alarm and for a year and a half of that we supported U2 in Europe and in America I ended up working for U2 I know U2 they were my mates when I was 20 and um, watching uh, those lads you know my, my um, generation if you like went from being soft lads to being international celebrities and watching how they handled that was a big influence on me same for mike peters from the alarm watching my best mate become a, a superstar that gave me a model of how to handle if a similar thing happened to me i never quite reached the uh, the heights of uh, the alarm or uh, uh or you too but having you know a television series for of my own for 16 years on how to three years on get fresh and lots of other things as well certainly gives you an you know you, you get an idea of what it must be like to be a, a real famous person i've never been famous familiar but never famous <laughs> and i love the way you're talking about how to there and how to handle the there you go you can crowbar how to into how to that's my i didn't realize that that's yeah and then we get how brain you know you work on a program for 16 years and it changes the way you think. You know, if you speak two languages, your brain remaps. It physically changes. And if you spend 16 years looking at solutions and understanding things in a certain way, it will physically change the shape of your brain. And I think 16 years of how to change the shape of my brain. It's like doing a postgraduate degree in uh, trivia, perhaps. Maybe so, yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time and uh, your website, garethjones.tv, that you mentioned uh, we could find the other clips there. And your podcast, Gareth Jones on Speed. Everyone should listen to that if they don't listen already, but clearly everybody does. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, we've got a reasonable audience. And one other thing, if you want to see any of the video of this stuff I've made over the years, you can go to uh, my YouTube channel as well, youtube.com forward slash Gareth Jones TV. But thank you, Paul, for the opportunity. Thank you for the great plug. You're a kind and generous man. Good luck with your show. Ah, thank you, Gareth. That was Gareth Jones. You can find out more about him at garethjones.tv. That's his website where you can find about Gareth Jones on Speed, his podcast that's been going on for... 
a very long time indeed. And on Twitter, he's at Gareth Jones TV. He was a delight to chat to. Next time on a Paul Carenza podcast, Reverend John March, a good friend of mine from my university days, who now runs a church in North London. And he'll be telling us about, well, really how church comes back from something like, uh, well, a pandemic, I suppose. Meantime, if you like this podcast, do review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found it. And you can give my other podcast a go. It's called The British Broadcasting Century. And there you'll find guests like, well, Gareth Jones, for example, but in more bite-sized form. We save the long chats for here on a Paul Carenza podcast. Till next time, farewell. (laughs) 